All right. There we are. We're live. We are. I'm alive. You're alive. We're all alive. Um, it's a new song by me. Feel, <laughs> feel free to, uh, you know, auto-tune that. <laughs> they alive? Damn it. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. a miracle. <laughs> we, uh, yes, that's, that's what you need to do, folks, is you really need to donate to, uh, to Montreal Sauce in some form so that we can get an auto-tune effect on our board. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, boom. Hey, welcome to Montreal Sauce, <laughs> uh, the non-auto-tune show. Um, hi, I'm Chris, coming to you from Edmonton, Alberta, and my friend and co-host is Paul. How's spring in Michigan, Paul? Uh, it's pretty good, actually. Uh, it's been sunny and warm the last couple days, which is uh, fantastic. Yeah, um, on this show, we talk to makers, creators, and inspiring people from all sorts of fields. Um, and if you haven't, you should totally like subscribe on iTunes or our website, yo. Um, that's how street I am. Uh, <laughs> our guest tonight, speaking of street, uh, he decided he wanted to help people take control of their own data rather than trusting corporations to be mindful of our privacy. And after researching and publishing tutorials, I think he realized the best way to help people was to build an easy-to-use operating system because current solutions were a little bit complex. So he put up his own funding page and raised like over, I think it was like $50,000 to develop ArcOS. Um, listeners, once again, we have with us Jacob Cook. How's the weather in Montreal? It is beautiful. It is finally approaching 20 degrees. The birds are singing. The squirrels are digging through my flower boxes and everything is right with the world. <laughs> in other words hello thank you for having me <laughs> uh yes uh jacob has been on the show before um and he is in fact our one and only um guest who's actually from montreal <laughs> <laughs> i'm putting the montreal in the sauce this evening that's right um and as I said, he's been on before, but I asked him back maybe to do like a loose topical show around online privacy and decentralization and subjects like that because uh, I've been looking into it myself and I find it kind of interesting and I don't think we talk about it enough for sure in the world. It's like, hey, do you remember that Edward Snowden guy? No. Okay. <laughs> Kardashians. <laughs> Almost. Yeah, so um, so yeah, that's what I was hoping to do tonight. So if uh, anyone has any questions, jump into the chat room on the live page at montrealsauce.com slash live and we'll do our best to answer them. Um, or if, if you are on IRC, you can go to Montreal Sauce, all one word, um, and join us there. Uh, so Jacob, um, back to the funding campaign um, – I was just curious uh, when I was thinking about that. Uh, you you built all that yourself instead of using like Kickstarter and Indiegogo or something like that, didn't you? Uh, yes, I did. That's correct. So I um, I used the skills in Python and Django that I had, and I set up a platform myself. Mostly because I wasn't super happy with how you know Kickstarter and Indiegogo, etc., were designed. I kind of wanted to make a, a custom design myself. Plus. Bitcoin was a lot bigger at that time than it is now, both in terms of popularity and in terms of um, value. So um, it was a good idea at that time to have something that could accept Bitcoin, which 
that was still when it was early on, I think, at least in terms of having like merchants accepting it, like in late 2013. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, it, it worked out pretty well. But uh, yeah, there was also, of course, the added benefit of not having to give the 3 or 4% extra to, um, to Kickstarter and just have to worry about the payment platforms. So, so that helped as well. But, uh, but yeah, it was definitely an awesome experience putting that all together myself. Yeah, I just I wanted to double check. I was like, well, we're talking about online privacy. I didn't know if uh, either one of those companies were sort of uh, data mining themselves, as I'm sure they are. <laughs> neither neither Kickstarter nor Indiegogo have the information on any <laughs> of the customers in the campaign. So <laughs> exactly, yes, it's only camp- me, and then it's up to you to decide if I'm more trustworthy or not than they are. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it's kind of freaky when you donate money to someone's campaign and then they email you or message you on Twitter like, hey, thanks a lot. I was like, yeah. whoa. <laughs> yeah, thanks for giving me your name, your address, you know, right? <clears throat> your phone number, all that good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's the real no, reason I'd... we have him on the show is because he knows where we live. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> No, I don't think I actually have any of that. I, th- I have the um, the non um, personally identifiable stuff like name, email, and um, and like the um, the reward level that I shipped out just for for um, like insurance purposes in case someone calls and says, "Hey, you know this thing that you sent me broke. Can I get a new one?" Um, but I believe I got rid of all of the important stuff. And of course, mm. it was through um, Stripe and PayPal too. So there was nothing like credit card details or anything that that yeah. I had to handle, which was a huge load off my back. Yep. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So many of those uh, payment services like that have gotten a lot more uh, convenient to use uh, from the developer's perspective. You don't have to worry about uh, all the like PCI compliance and all that fun stuff to make sure that you're. Mm-hmm storing things you just let them handle that and they said yes this person is trustworthy and has paid yeah absolutely i can't say enough good things about stripe <clears throat> it's one of the few centralized services along with digital ocean that well i mean they're kind of indispensable so you have to have them but yeah. <laughs> sure yeah but at least they actually do their job well <laughs> in exactly. addition to that indeed yeah that's yeah that's Definitely a plus in today's world where it seems to be about like releasing before the other guy. So we get so many buggy things these days. Yep, this is true. Or just stagnant. I mean, that would be my primary complaint with PayPal, at least until until Stripe came along to kind of mix things up a little bit. Um, you really had <laughs> like PayPal was probably the best of all of the terrible options that there were authorized.net and lots of others and then stripe came along and made it like actually somewhat easy if not totally enjoyable for a developer to start accepting payments way more easy and way more logical to function than paypal's api it was at the time i know that now they've introduced a rest API that uh, I tried working with it during the funding <laughs> campaign again and it was still kind of um, buggy then but I'm sure it's gotten better since then. so so yeah innovation bringing the old behemoths into the 21st century yes <laughs> yes it's still funny to consider PayPal an old behemoth but yeah <laughs> <laughs> but they behave like one so I guess that's what they are well I mean isn't Elon Musk the the Carnegie or Rockefeller of the modern age yeah yeah nice he yes. had to come from somewhere. Yes. 
So yeah, unless uh, unless you're like uh, living in a Canadian bunker like myself, uh, there's a lot of stuff happening <laughs> right now in the world, and I think the two biggest areas are sort of uh, you know government data collection, which is basically the American government collecting from everyone else, <laughs> and then uh, big data like Google and Facebook and all these services that are after your data, and it's. I was thinking about it like uh, yesterday. It's kind of like an old game. I mean, uh, I remember when I bought a house and I went to like a home show in town and, you know, it's just like a boat show or a bridal show. And there's all these like booths and people trying to sell you things. And of course, each and every one of them have some sort of giveaway. And all you have to do is give them like your name and phone number and address and possibly email address and they enter you to win. But really... It's just a matter of collecting all that data and putting it in their database. <laughs> and so it's an old game that and that used to be paper and pencil and now it's online and they're getting a lot more than just our names and addresses. <laughs> um, yes. So, so yeah, I, I distinctly remember uh, when I was working in retail, like there was a radio station doing a remote in the store that I was at and they were doing some sort of giveaway and having people fill it out and – I was like, uh, I, I just was talking to him about it. And he's like, oh, yeah, we just have to go put this in our database. And I was like thinking, like, why why does like a retail store or why does a radio station need like names and addresses? But they don't. Right. They're just like probably selling that list to yeah. mailers and marketers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And someone forgot to put their phone on vibrate. I wonder who that was. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so, so, and now these things are happening online, like Facebook and Google plus and Twitter and all kinds of things. And, um, and then you have the other issue of like the things that Edward Snowden brought to light, which is like prism and these little various programs where, um, our data is being collected by either our phone carriers or these other companies and then just hand it over to the government um, so I think, uh, it's a, it's an important thing to talk about and, uh, that's how I can ramble on so much because <laughs> I, I'm, uh, it, it, it kind of weirds me out even more and more. And, uh, so yeah, that's why, uh, I decided to have Jacob on because he is the, uh, progenitor, the creator of ArcOS. <laughs> and it is my uh, baby. Yes. I very much consider it to be my baby. <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, an interesting solution to uh, hosting your own data rather than giving your data to these bigger corporations. And um, so I really respect that idea. And version 0.07, or is it 0.7? 0.7 is out. Yes, yes, it's um, just in the beta phase right now. So I'm getting people testing it on a variety of devices, including the new Raspberry Pi 2 that just came out. And it works really well on that. Um, but yeah, those are, um, download links for those are on the forums and people can try it out and the amount of errors that are being filed are dwindling. So I think the time for a general release will come within the next week or two, which will be awesome. Yeah, that is cool. Mm -hmm. And, um, some of the things that, uh, ArcOS does for you is, you know, you can do a variety of things like host your own web page. You can host files like a Dropbox. You can host like a picture gallery, um, 
And uh, I think there's what, like a read it later kind of an app and an Evernote similar kind of a thing. And you can even host your own email. And these are all things that we use every day, some of us, and you don't really think about it. But I mean, it's been published plenty of times that if you use Gmail, Gmail is like reading your email. Like they're looking for keywords and phrases to send your advertising but they're also building a profile on you to advertise directly to you exactly. and to also sell you to other advertisers. So, yeah, um, Gmail is not the product. Facebook is not the product. You are the product for exactly. them in order to sell the same kind of content back to you in, the same ki- in a strange kind of you know, feedback, perverse feedback loop of horribleness. <laughs> so the idea with ArcOS is to break out of that kind of thing, both in terms of having people making money off of you constantly without your consent uh, on the information that you would like to be private just between you and your friends, right? Um, and also the fact that all of that information is centralized in gigantic data centers owned by Google or Facebook or these other companies. Uh, um, and these become huge targets for hackers, for employees with axe to grind so that they search through the database or, of course, what's the most likely, mass collection by um, state surveillance agencies for them to do whatever they want to do with it. So the idea behind ArcOS is to get people onto their own individual platforms, decentralize the information so it doesn't represent such a big target for um, ad companies, data miners, surveillance agencies, things of that nature, and do so in a way that makes it very easy for the user to use um, and have all that information in one spot and set it up and manage it all themselves just like magic. You know, the idea is to provide an alternative that's as easy to use, if not easier, than anything else you'll find on the market currently in a centralized fashion. Right, and totally, as you said, like easy to use because there are some things out there that, you know, Paul and I were experimenting with uh, Bical, the calendar server kind of a setup but um you know it took a little bit of knowledge for each of us to set that up it's not something that my mother could do (laughs) yeah yeah and that's been the biggest hurdle to getting these kinds of alternatives adopted is that they exist i mean there's plenty of things there's facebook clones there's twitter clones there's google calendar clones there's everything out there but it's not accessible to people if you don't build it in a way that they understand and so uh Apple has gone a long way with popularizing the the App Store model and, of course, Google after it and so on. But this is how people think of computers nowadays is you don't buy a box off of the shelf in a store that has a CD in it that you pop in, you install. That's not how it works anymore. You open up the little App Store icon and you click on the app that you want to install and so on. If you say to people you have to install it by using a CD or by a terminal command or anything, their eyes will glaze over and instantly this (laughs) – is you know taken out of the reach of people, and I don't think that that's necessarily how it should be. So ArcOS is really about well, everything I mentioned before, but making it easier so that people can just click what they want to use, click to install it, and then everything works automatically, just like the App Store does on your phone these days. Yeah, and see, once you've perfected this, I mean, you have a ways to go. Probably because we're still at point seven, but you know, yep. then you can move on to our last guest that you know, Jen. Um, you can move on to her idea of some sort of way for creatives to get together and work together. <laughs> That's your next project I've just given you. <laughs> yes, 
helping those darn creative people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They never seem to put their brains together. They need they need some kind of Git for uh, for files that aren't necessarily truly text. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there was something that GitHub is proposing recently for. I didn't look into it too closely, but it's supposed to be like Git for you know video files or music files or something like that. However, the problem is I don't think it's anything like what uh, what she was talking about. I don't no. think it's like a visual. <laughs> yeah, it's just for large binary files so that it's you know not so. So it sits outside of, of yeah. So it sits outside of the repository and doesn't yeah. kill you. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think I think there's uh, there's ArcOS is definitely the the closest that there is um, to having something where you can just get it up and running out of the box. I mean, out of the box, it will it will do a lot of things. You can flip a few switches uh, and have some pretty cool functionality up and running. Um, especially, I imagine on the Raspberry Pi two where you've got. Uh, a little bit more horsepower and things don't feel like they take quite so long to, to finish setting themselves up. Um, or at least that was, that was my experience on the, on the raspberry Pi and a couple of versions ago. So I think probably a lot of things have improved since then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 0.7 is a full rewrite of the entire code base. So the, the initial versions I kind of took as a learning experience. It was forked from a different software package. I repurposed it into doing a whole bunch of different things. This one really takes the best practices, at least in my opinion, takes the best practices mm-hmm. of how software is built nowadays and how things are structured. So instead of just having one gigantic monolithic program sitting on your server that has to do everything itself and is very slow with that, this separates the back end from the front end. So the front end is actually a JavaScript program that runs on your, you know, inside your browser and the rest of it is a REST API back end. That part runs on Python uh, on the server itself. So that takes down a lot of processing time right there and it seems really snappy and it's asynchronous and a lot of other buzzwords that might not, you know, <laughs> that might only appeal to to geek programmers, but Trust me, you'll have to – if you've used a version before 0.7 and use 0.7, it's a completely different thing. And I think you'll be really happy with it. Sweet. Yeah, it's been uh, – I uh, for a while there only had like one extra SD card, but now I have two. So I can flip and flop and do different things with the Raspberry Pi. <laughs> yeah. That's so, definitely helpful. Yes. Yeah, so I'm excited. But I also noticed that I think like now – I don't think it was – Either it was there, the package was there, and I just didn't have it yet, or maybe it's not yet in um, the ArcOS App Store, but like you have Mumble going yet? Uh, yes, that was in 0.6, and yeah. um, I, had, I hadn't tried it out extensively myself. It was actually written by a, a third-party developer that contributed to the project. Um, but from what I heard, it seemed to work okay. Um, I haven't imported it into 0.7 quite yet. I'm still working on migrating the apps from the old versions, but all of those should be done inside a week or two from now. So everything will be back to how it was before. Well, that's exciting because that's one of the one of the other services, Skype, that we're using right now that Paul and I have always talked about getting rid of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think the great thing about uh, – I think we've looked at Mumble once or twice, and I think the nice thing about that is kind of out of the box, it gives you the ability to uh, record separate tracks but be on one conversation or something along those lines. Oh, really? So, yeah. 
um, depending on what server you you use. So I think that mm-hmm. that ha- that plays a part in that. But the server can capture all of those and then record them to independent tracks, mm-hmm. which is why I have a giant board set up on my end and multiple Skype <laughs> Skype computers going into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, Mumble has a surprising amount of features. I poked around the configuration file a little bit, and there's only uh, a small amount of those that are actually used by ArcOS at any given time, at least by the front end, right? Because um, we had to quanti- quantify the amount of integration that we did right away, or else you know, we would scare people with the amount of things yeah. that you had in there. But yeah. uh, hopefully one day we'll get to it all. And you know, like I said, <laughs> there's tons of stuff you can do with it. It's a pretty cool little program. Yeah, so... Uh, one of the questions I have, um, sort mm-hmm. of along the lines here, is uh, so you used to have like a really uh, interesting uh, phone because of your interest in decentralization, and now you yes. have an iPhone, Jacob. Yes, I do. <laughs> I knew this was going to come up. <laughs> yes, I do. Well, the reason why I had to get rid of my Yala, which is um, an awesome phone, and I would really recommend that anyone who can get one does just to play with it, especially if you're a, you're an enthusiast and you like trying out new things. It's really awesome. Um, but I had to get rid of it because there's only one carrier in North America that kind of sort of supports it because it's a European phone and they haven't made it on North American bands yet, mm. and that's Rogers Canada. And so I used it with Rogers for a little while. It was kind of hit and miss, but I made do. Uh, but then I had to switch to Bell for certain reasons, and then of course, you know, I'm switching away from the only carrier. So I had to get rid of it in terms of it being my daily driver. And I did graduate to the iPhone six, and I also have a MacBook Air, which is my personal computer. More gasps have been heard from the audience, of course, <laughs> with that. But there are good reasons for for that, and I think that. In creating ArcOS, this might be a bit um, strange for me to say. Maybe not strange, but grandiose. But in, in, in creating ArcOS, a lot of my inspiration has been taken from Apple products because for, good, for better or for worse, they really do things in a way that is very user-friendly. And that's, I mean, all of their interfaces are very design-oriented, it seems to me. Um, you know, like, I was, like I mentioned before, popularizing the idea of the App Store. That's been a complete revolution in how people think of computing these days. So my thing with using uh, a few Apple products here and there these days is not only because of the convenience of it and because I like it, but also p- doing a little bit of opposition research, right? So I've, I've used iCloud for a few things here and there just to see how the integration is with the desktop and with the phone. And... It's really given me a lot of inspiration on how I will be able to tweak ArcOS to do things in the future. Um, I know that, for example, in Yosemite, there's a new framework for building extensions into different components of mm-hmm. the preferences tab and the, the operating system itself, different from how you were able to do them before. But um, long story short, I believe that will make it possible for us to create uh, like an ArcOS cloud service that you can install on your OS X computer and through that, it'll be a first-class citizen, just like iCloud is. So you click, you, know, you enter your um, the address for your server, for example, and then it'll automatically add in your uh, calendar contacts feeds, your mail account, and all of that stuff, just as if you were setting up your computer to use iCloud. So it's, as, it's that kind of integration that uh, really inspires me when it comes to Apple products, and I would love to be able to emulate in some of the open-source software that I'm working on these days. That's well, awesome. 
Yeah, I wasn't. Uh, believe it or not, I wasn't going to be too snarky. I was just going oh, to. No, no, no. I know. I was. I was. <laughs> I was just going to ask. You know, someone who does value uh, open source and values uh, yeah. his privacy, like what sort of apps you're using. I'm assuming you're in, you're using Signal for text messaging and things, but I was yes. just curious if you had. You know, it's a it's a tech show today, so you know we have to talk about apps. <laughs> of course, of course. So yeah, you, you mentioned Signal, and Signal is a really awesome um, voice and text communication software that is available for the iPhone, and uh, you can communicate also with people who use TechSecure on Android. I think they're actually working for a branded version called Signal for Android too, if it's not out already. Um, but anyway, it's like a WhatsApp replacement, but you can actually trust its encryption. It's created by a group of people called Open Whisper Systems, and the lead developer's name is Moxie Marlinspike, and they've done absolutely incredible work in this area, both in terms of quality encryption that's trustable and in terms of usability for the application. And in my opinion, there's really no reason to use any other service than Signal for text or voice communication. Now that you know it works decently on the iPhone for the past couple months and you can communicate between iPhone and Android, it's the closest thing we have to like a real iMessage killer that is actually verifiably secure. Wow, I didn't know um, Signal did voice as well. That's cool. Yep. Yeah, it does. I, I tried it out uh, just last week for the first time. Uh, a voice call with my friend who uses it, and it's pretty cool. It brings up the um, the uh, the the dialer screen, and then it tells you like a three word uh, phrase to use to verify with your uh, caller that the thing is secure, just like you know with the OTR passphrases and stuff like that. It's really cool. Yeah, that's cool. I um I'd be curious. I wonder if it works because uh, Whisper system. Their other app on the Android is called Redphone for voice calls instead of tech secure so yeah, i know be- that signal to tech secure works i don't know if signal yeah. to red phone works but it would definitely be something to try out for sure i've got it installed we'll have to do the swap and try it <laughs> exactly <laughs> or the just- next montreal sauce episode could be done over encrypted voice call with signal it totally could <laughs> nice so one of the things uh, as I was working towards uh, freeing myself from the chains of Google uh, <laughs> is my email. And uh, so I got really excited because I was like, hey, um, I'm not 100 percent happy with the centralized service of Dropbox, but I know they have this cool email application called Mailbox. I will try that. And then, of course, before I downloaded it. Um, I did my due diligence and found, you know, that your mail is stored on their servers and it's kind of sketch. So, yeah, <laughs> I was like, hmm, I guess that's not my email killer. So what are you using on the iPhone? Or is it, are you just using the regular mail app or? Uh, I am using the regular mail app both on my iPhone and on the desktop, but I do have my own self-hosted email server. So all of that information just you know, goes to and from my server just like that. I, um, I don't use PGP on mobile, but I have the PG, open PGP um, mm-hmm. integration on OS X. So it works really well uh, in the mail app. Nice. Yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask, uh, do you run uh, your own ArcOS box and what apps on the <laughs> ArcOS box do you run? 
<laughs> well, I don't run uh, an Arc OS box for any mission critical applications these days, simply because sure. I'm spending so much time working on it. Yep. And uh, dog fooding probably would be a good idea to do in the future, but uh, at this point, I I'm I'm used to running so much infrastructure for the you know, Citizen Web and the project as a whole. Yeah. You know, what's one more VM just for my personal stuff? So, <laughs> so that's what I do. I I manage my own VM uh, on a DigitalOcean server, and I have all that stuff installed automatically. Nice. Um, any other iPhone apps that you, since you've just moved to that platform, that you are um, enjoying or that you like? Yeah, I haven't spent a whole lot of time on that, to be honest. At least ones that have a security uh, uh, or privacy bent to it. I pretty much just have tried Signal, and then the rest of the stuff syncs to my server, like mail and calendars and contacts and stuff. All of that goes back to my own server. Mm-hmm. But no, no individual apps that I've been spending too much time on on the iPhone side, at least. Yeah, I, I imagine there was there was a good number of apps on the Yala phone, but um, mm-hmm. that also probably helped cure you from uh, using the phone for distraction, and it's more of a tool now, huh? <laughs> Yeah, and that's kind of strange to say because, I mean, the iPhone is just like a big video game console in itself. And with all <laughs> the different shiny applications that you have, you can definitely you can definitely go um, pretty far in that direction. But yeah, with, uh, with the other phone, I did spend myself constantly refreshing the App Store because the ecosystem as it was then and probably still is now is just small enough so that it's... You know, every single time a new app is uploaded, you notice, right? <laughs> if you check, if you check every week or two weeks, so um, there's definitely tons of stuff to play with there. But um, but yeah, I I would be drowned if I tried to do the same thing in the iOS app store. That's for sure. I find the same. Like um, I, for a long time, I was just so into like uh, I was one of these tor- terrible people like on the XDA forums, like addicted yeah. to like switching ROMs and things. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then like after I did got through that and switch trying different versions of custom Androids, it's like, um, you know, I'll hear about like the cool app and maybe try it out. And then, um, I never touch it again. And it's like, uh, it's one of those things where I'm like, you know, maybe someone, if there isn't already, should, you know, make um, a launcher for Android that, like, sorts your apps by, like, uh, I'm sure there's one by use, but I was going to say by, like, months or something. <laughs> like, you haven't touched this in three months. Maybe you should get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sure oh, I'm sure there's an app for that. That's for sure. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, that is one of the things that I miss. You mentioned ROMs on uh, the XDA forums, which is a place that I frequented quite a bit as well uh, back when I had uh, primarily Android devices. And that is something that I miss quite a bit is the hackable nature, so to speak, of the devices that I'm using. Um, I have a Lenovo laptop, which was my daily driver um, before I got the MacBook Air. And, of course, I had Arch Linux on that. And then I had my rooted Android phone with um, some version of Cyanogen, whatever it was available at the time, on there. And, you know, installing my own um, themes and app drawers. I don't even know what they call them anymore. But, but yeah, that was definitely a lot of fun. And that is something that I miss a bit with the iPhone and um, the MacBook Air because it's definitely not as customizable. But I like being able to send text messages from my desktop. <laughs> on iMessage. <laughs> it's going to be hard for me to get rid of that convenience now. And the fact that there's nothing really like that with any other platform means that yeah, I'm stuck with it now. 
I've gone native. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's uh I I think it's uh probably through the web. It's a web app, but um I used it for a while with my tablet and somewhere through like ROM upgrades on either the tablet or the phone, they became disconnected and I've never bothered to reconnect it, but there's an app called Mighty Text. And so you can get your texts from your phone onto your tablet. And I believe they have a web interface so you can just sign in online and do the same thing, but probably not as convenient as iMessage. (laughs) Is that for, is it just for Android or? I'm not exactly sure. That might also be on Apple at this point, but I maybe not because iMessage is kind of like built in. Yeah. Um, so that's so interesting. Yeah. I'll have to take a look at that because I remember when I was debating getting the iPhone in the first place, I was like, I want this new functionality. It's really shiny. It's really pretty, and I want it. And there's nothing that I can find that exists on the Android side that can compete with it. Uh, but yeah. Maybe I'll regret that decision someday, but for now, <laughs> nah, for now, no. But for now, strength, <laughs> courage. Uh, yeah, because um, you're probably under contract, as they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unfortunately. Well, actually, no, I don't think I am under contract, but I got it with a different phone than this one, so I actually paid full price for this one because I'm a sucker and I make decisions too impulsively. <laughs> but that's what happened there, so... Yeah, I'm I'm at a loss actually because like I I am still on Rogers, so the yellow phone could still happen for me. But um, but yeah, I'm at a loss now because I'm like trying to let's see if I can shrug off Google. So when I get yeah. to the end of my contract, I'm like, oh, where where do I go then? <laughs> like, yeah, and that was that was also one of the big things that motivated me to, to switch to at least the iPhone half of things was that. Which tech giant do you trust more or less, actually? Which, which yeah. tech giant do you trust <laughs> less these days? And I found that, shockingly enough, compared with Google and Apple, the answer was Google when it comes to, to the iPhone. I know that, or the Android, rather. I know that um, with Cyanogen, it gets rid of a lot of the bloatware and a lot of the tracking stuff that Google puts on the devices automatically. Um, there's a lot less things to worry about, but just in terms of thinking of it in that kind of dichotomy, which isn't necessarily how you should always do it, but the answer for me was always Apple is the more evil corporation, but now Google has replaced it. So I really don't know what to think about that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, um, yeah, they've, Apple has even come out and said some things, right? Like, you know, we're not totally comfortable with, uh, some of this data collection, but then you're like, well, yeah. you're saying that about your competition, but you're not exactly saying we're not doing it, right? Yeah, yeah, they're so. definitely not angels in that sphere. They've done a lot of good things, such as the, well, this isn't ver- super verifiable, but the supposed end-to-end encryption for um, for iMessage. iMessages yep. and so on, and that's huge. I mean, if you think about the amount of people that use iMessages, I mean, it's got a rival WhatsApp so that kind of thing is absolutely massive in terms of the net gains that people can make in privacy. It's just, of course, their philosophies in certain other areas are still not probably 100% where they right. should be, it's for sure. Right. Yeah, and they can – I mean they've said what their infrastructure is, but to your point, they can always, they can always play the man in the middle because mm-hmm. all of that stuff does go through their infrastructure, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, exactly. But um, – 
they also I, I guess technically they run an ad an ad business through their through their iAd for apps. Um, yeah. But their primary their primary driver of profit is you buying these devices. Um, it's not uh, you know selling your eyeballs to advertisers. Um, yeah. So collecting that data um, while they may be doing it, um, I don't think it's a primary. It doesn't. It doesn't inherently help them further that goal of selling you more devices. Um, yeah. The way that it helps Google uh, get your, you know, your your personal profile in front of more people who they think, you know, you'll like their products. Yeah, I mean, Apple isn't an information company in that kind of context. They're a software and hardware company, so you have things like iCloud, but that's you know, mostly on the periphery. It's a benefit for you if you already have their hardware. Whereas Google, of course, yep. is absolutely an information company, right? So is Facebook. Right. They they don't make their own hardware. They rely on the hardware that's given to other people, but they just put the software on there. How do you make money from that? Well, you put ads in and you try to create social networks, maybe have one every four years and then you cycle to another one once that one fails because you don't know how to create one and mm-hmm. things like <laughs> that. You just try to monetize the hell out of everyone. But yeah, that's definitely not the same way that all actors in the – in the field operate and Apple is one of them. So Yeah. Fundamentally I, I think this is why Google is better at cloud services than Apple is. It's is simply yeah. because they have had to figure out how to deal with this data because it's the primary driver of their business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would totally make sense to me. I I wouldn't say that Apple's bad, but Google's definitely better in those respects. Yep. Yep. But it is up to us to create an open source and free and decentralized alternative to all of the things that we have just mentioned. That's right. It's yes. true. And and that's that's what makes change too is by us doing other things. And I think I recently just saw like an electronic uh, – the EFF uh, campaign where they were talking about using the um, – uh, if you're not using it on whatever browser you have, the um, HTTPS everywhere plugin for your browser, you should use it because um, their little ad that I watched uh, said, you know, look, if you use this, it makes it harder for people to steal and steal your data and to track you and things like that. It's not great, but it makes it harder. So it makes them come up with something else or do something else if we all start using this. <laughs> Yeah, and I was like, "Yeah, that's a good point. Like, the more we make it difficult for them, mm-hmm. the harder it is for them to do it, and the less cost effective it is." So, yeah, and I mean that kind of philosophy holds true if we're talking about ad companies, spyware stuff like that, or state-sponsored mass collection and storage <laughs> and parsing of data. You can't really get rid of it completely. You just have to make it so expensive. And prohibitive for them to not even try and to try and move on to something else, right? So that's one of the things, that's one of the reasons why I really like HTTPS Everywhere and also other browser tools like Ghostry um, or NoScript, which are both super, super helpful. I don't go anywhere without my Ghostry extension these days. But, um, but yeah, the goal is to just stop everything that you possibly can. You're never going to be 100% safe, 100% private, but creating the the most amount of difficulties you can for your adversaries, which, you know, in security parlance is how you think of them, um, is what's really going to get you to be as safe as possible in the end. 
Yeah, so you you like ghostery then? Okay, interesting. Yes, yeah, ghostery is absolutely a godsend for me. Um, it doesn't work all of the time, and there are some times where I scream at it because it drives me nuts. Like going to some websites where a video won't play, for example, because ghostery is on, um, and it it stops a lot of JavaScript that it shouldn't necessarily stop. But I don't qualify that as necessarily being a huge problem compared with all of the stuff that it blocks. I mean, just go to the New York Times website or the Washington yeah. Post or, or some other uh, large, very frequently visited website um, and then click on the little ghostry button and see how many trackers you have. Each one of those is a different piece of software and a different company that has access to your information. And we know from the Snowden files that uh, the NSA and other organizations like them are taking advantage of this. You know, so ad networks aren't just for making money off of you. It's making the entire internet less safe. And it's understandable that that's how, you know, the world works and how people have to make money these days, but we have to build solutions that are much more sustainable than that. Um, so that's why I love ghostry <laughs> in a nutshell, <laughs> it, because it it for, was, it'll force people. I'm hoping it'll force people to think about things like that. Once they see the amount of people that are using it and seeing that it's you know giving them a hit in their bottom line, maybe they'll start to think, hmm, let's think of some more creative and inventive ways that we can make our living rather than trying to gouge everyone from their personal information and the statistics of their hardware and operating system and location and all of this stuff. Yeah, I think uh yeah, I that's a good point. I just going to say that I moved I think from Ghostry to Disconnect just because I was kind of freaked out by Ghostry is like an ad company itself, I think, isn't it? Or it works with one. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. I believe Adblock Plus there was some controversy recently about them um not blocking certain ads that they judged to be great like in conjunction with some ad company or whatever and so there was a bit of a bias issue there i hadn't heard anything about ghostry but it definitely is possible you have to um i think you just i think the real deal uh with ghostry is that you need to opt out of like their data collection is all yeah so yeah it's true they make it easy enough to do that though I mean, in the initial setup wizard, they just say, do you want to send us some information to make the product better? Yes, no, blow. You check it or you don't check it. So it's it's pretty straightforward. So unless there's something that they're doing that's not toward, which is definitely possible given what Adblock Plus has done recently, which you know I thought they were great until I heard what happened. Um, so yeah, it's definitely possible. Oh, that's what it was. Sorry to interrupt you. Um, yeah, they have their little ghost rank feature and... Um, mm-hmm. And basically, like it tells, they then send advertisers like the ads that you've blocked so that they can make different ads or whatever. So, um, but (laughs) you can opt out of, yeah, (laughs) it is an interesting thing. Like, Mm -hmm. I I thought it was an interesting uh, (laughs) model for business. But yeah, I was like, "Mm, that's kind of sketch. So, Yeah. yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I just opened up my settings panel and it looks like I don't have it enabled. So I must have seen that and said no to it at some point. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe I like that kind of feature. If if uh, if you have an organization that's um, sending some information to a company saying people don't like this, please stop it. Yeah, you know, if they're listening, then maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. 
Yeah, I just I remember I was using it for a long time. I even did a blog post on it, and I was mm-hmm. like, it, it became a game, like you said, like New York Times. Or I think the big winner for me was um, it was probably several years ago, but I went to like uh, cracked dot com, the old yeah. magazine site, <laughs> and that one had like you know like. I don't know. There was probably 18 trackers on that website. (laughs) (laughs) Yikes. Yeah. So, yeah. And, um, and like you said, I was going to ask, uh, I didn't research before the show. Sorry for my poor, uh, setup here, but, uh, wasn't, do either of you know, was, uh, weren't Google and Facebook both participating in some of the data collection for the NSA, like through prism or some other programs or no? Well, there's, there was a bit of controversy. Some people suggested in the early days that they were doing it voluntarily, that because the NSA boasted about having uh, links to Google and Facebook's information, Google and Facebook were like, well, you know, everything's encrypted on our end, everything's open and shut, there are no little rooms in our data centers where people have tabs or anything, so it's impossible, we could have never accepted this, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then information came out a bit later that they uh, one of the tactics, tactics that they had used to get information from those companies was to intercept the connections between their data centers, which were, were not being encrypted for mm. some bizarre reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a lot of Google engineers and Facebook engineers on social media that were uh, the day when that story hit, right when everything was happening, uh, had some very colorful language to use. <laughs> so I definitely get the impression that... They may have been willing participants in in certain parts, but most of the time it was not necessarily happening with their knowledge. It was still happening, though. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. It's just on a different scale, but mm-hmm. it's the same thing. It's kind of like us going, hey, wait, what? Like you're doing what with my data? <laughs> it's, it's like they're getting indignant about, hey, wait, you've tapped our data without us knowing. And it's like, well, yeah, because that's kind of what you do. <laughs> it's a little bit ironic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we are we are told if if we had, you know, maybe that's what we should do in a couple of weeks. The next show I will just like spend 2 hours reading a terms of agreement, <laughs> user terms <laughs> for iTunes or something. Cuz uh Yeah, listenership will be at an all-time high, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Cuz those things do explain everything that they record. But uh, no one reads them, so yep. yeah. But I just thought it was interesting. I was I was just asking the question because it came out this week that um, Homeland Security is like setting up an office in Silicon Valley, and it's like um, someone from Google um, was like, uh, "We don't like this. This isn't good. Like, yeah. you know, we we want to protect our customers." And I was like, "Really? Do you? <laughs> yeah, protect protect them from yourself." Maybe that would be a good place to start first. Yeah. Yeah, 20, uh, 2014 was not a good year for uh, both the security revelations, but also um, I would say SSL in general had a pretty bad year um, with the various vulnerabilities that cropped up. And some of those, it could even be stated, um, were uh, if not necessarily um, – Put in there by the NSA, they certainly uh, the NSA may may and often said they knew about uh, several of these vulnerabilities like Heartbleed and others. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Andy and are, uh, if anything, probably miffed that we're finding and closing them now that there's a little bit more of a focus on it. Yeah, that that wouldn't necessarily surprise me. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a great year for <laughs> for serious problems <laughs> that can shake the internet to its foundations. I, I I really don't think it was, but it's good that all of these things happen. Though it's good that they come out the way that they come out because yes. otherwise the alternative is not knowing and. Everyone should know, everyone who uses a computer should know that nothing is perfect. No software that's developed is perfect. There's always going to be flaws forever and ever and ever. The question is just how do you find them and how do you deal with them? The responsible way is to disclose them, of course, and not everyone does that, especially people who have an interest in exploiting them for as long as they can without anyone else knowing about it. Yeah. But that said, I'm, SSL is still the best uh, widely deployed technology we have that we can use to encrypt our communications um, over the internet. And um, I was going to ask some questions about how, um, like how we are work using SSL in ArcOS today. What kind of that roadmap looks like? I know there's some new um, services and certificate authorities that are going to be hopefully available to us soon. That will make getting us getting a SSL certificate for personal use a little bit easier. Yeah. Yeah. So um, having a, a a site that is encryptable in Transport when you when you read it is a very important thing um, for anyone. Not just if you're storing um, secured information like credit card numbers or anything on your server, but also just if you're using a username and password or visiting it at all, really. Um, And I think Mozilla announced today or very recently, if it wasn't today, that um, they're going to start deprecating HTTP or at least in a way that prioritizes HTTPS strongly in the development uh, of, of new features in the browser and basically making it as clear as possible to anyone that still uses HTTP only that you probably shouldn't be doing this and you're missing out a lot if you don't or if you don't upgrade to having a secure connection. So um, ArcOS currently has the ability to either generate your own SSL certificate on your server to use with any of your services that support it. So any kind of website, any kind of chat server, mail server, anything, uh, you can use an SSL or TLS certificate with it. Um, Or you can upload one that you purchase from uh, another location, uh, a certificate authority that's well known. And of course, there are certain benefits to that. But uh, you can do either or. And uh, I think what Paul was referring to, there are some services um, starting up in the beta phases these days called uh, there's one called Less Encrypt. I think that's what it's called. Less Encrypt. Yes. Um, yep. Yeah, and that's the one that's uh, by Mozilla and Akamai and Cisco and EFF and all of these other cool people, um, except for Cisco, who's not cool. But um, <laughs> this is like it's a free certificate authority. So, and it's very easy to generate a certificate with. It, it's a, it's a pretty cool idea, and it's one that I'm definitely going to have integrated in ArcOS right away. Even though there's a paid uh, SSL certificate service that's coming um, with ArcOS Connect, which is a suite of services that's being launched to help people with um, decentralization if they're having some trouble with it. And also the money towards that will go towards um, financing and funding the project into the future. Mm-hmm. And there will be a, a, a possibility very soon to buy your own domain and SSL certificate from your server and have it automatically 
you know, download it to your server, add it to your account, and everything going automatically. But um, I think Let's Encrypt and services like that are so important that that will be an alternative that's also baked in just as everything else is baked in. Just because it's so important to get people onto get people hosting their own websites, but if it's not secure, then there's really no benefit to doing it. Yeah. Other yeah. than just using Google, right? So Right. <clears throat> well, and to your point, making those those things, getting your domain name, getting mm-hmm. uh, your SSL certificate, um, and getting all of that installed, making that as easy as installing an app from the App Store um, is yeah. going to make that so much easier for people who, frankly, are, are non-technical. Um, and mm-hmm. if they can check a box, click a couple buttons, and they've got a server running that has SSL on it, and it's a trusted certificate authority that it came from, so they don't have to go around installing or approving certificates on different devices that they use. Um, That's going to be huge for people to get on this uh, uh, and start really protecting their data and taking ownership of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's combining the best practices of security and privacy with education and those are of course the three pillars of the project so there's really no reason why why we wouldn't do everything we can to support it that's for sure i think i'm sorry chris uh no go ahead i think last time we talked um we had uh there was kind of a uh we speculated about uh instead of only uh being able to run ArcOS on a personal device such as a Raspberry Pi that you could run it uh, potentially in a virtual machine on a cloud somewhere. And uh, I believe uh, you've kind of taken that uh, speculation and turned it into a reality. I think you were working on yes. that at the time too, uh, but would you uh, I might have poached the idea from you guys and tried <laughs> to create a startup around it. I hope that's okay. No, no, no. We would not <laughs> no. take credit for, for it. Yeah. I, I actually don't remember, you know, what the timing of everything was, but uh, you are indeed correct. So there's a service that uh, I'm working on with a couple of other people. That's called Skylark, and Skylark is basically having your own ArcOS server running in a VM on uh, dedicated hardware in a data center. And a lot of people ask me this question: Well, what's the point, right? If everything's on the same mm-hmm. computer in the same data center already, then what's the point of decentralization? And the difference is really in the architecture. So when you have companies like Google and Facebook, the way that they build their software platforms is that you have uh, database clusters, and so all of the information is on those database clusters. Obviously, there's quite a few of them, but that's how the information is stored. And that's you can easily tap into that to get information that you want. And that's one of the issues of what happened with the NSA when what we were just talking about with the links into the data centers. You link mm-hmm. it to the data center, you link it to the database cluster, and then you have information on hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people. So the difference between this and that is that each Skylark ArcOS server is on its own virtual machine. So it's uh, in kind of like a container format. So not information on everyone is technically in the same spot but the way that it's formatted is in a way that it would be prohibitively expensive for anyone to come in and suck up all of the mm-hmm. VMs and have to filter through all of the data and then get to the database cluster and then it's just for one person each time and then that's a huge bummer for them so the point of Skylark is to reduce the amount of complexity that people have in hosting their own ArcOS servers from their own connection because it's really hard to run a server from your own home internet connection 
uh, if you have certain constraints. Like if you have a certain internet service provider called Comcast in the United States <laughs> or Rogers in Canada who um, – Or really some... almost any major cable company. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Most major cable companies will not give you a static IP address if you do not have a business class connection. And that's one of the things you do need to have in order to have a stably running server. Um, but a lot of the more egregious cases do port blocking. So they'll block ports 80 and 443, which mm. are used very commonly for hosting websites, uh, ports 25 um, for transferring email, and so on. So if any of those things... Um, if if you qualify under any of those cases or if your internet connection is just too slow and you don't want to give up the bandwidth, then you should be able to have all of the same benefits on a centralized connection with none of the drawbacks of you know having to give up your home bandwidth and having to deal with port blockages and, and all of these things. So that's what Skylark was was designed to 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 fix. You know, it's not perfect, but I think it combines the best of both worlds of centralized technology with decentralized technology and it creates something pretty cool in the process. Yeah, I think uh last time you were on, I sort of remember that. I think um I was just I think I asked the question. I don't think you actually stole anything from us. I just asked the question <laughs> because No, because you had just recently before you were on the show last time um put out like a survey and one of them was uh, one of the questions in the survey was like a similar kind of a service or would people want yeah. that? And so I was asking, like, what's that all about? And you're like, well, we don't know yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it was it was still in the early stages back then. And now that 0.7 is done, I'm going to be able to devote a lot more time to this idea uh, in the coming months. So I'm really excited about that. But so um, the whole thing has been a user driven experience from the get-go, which is how I try to structure all of my work with this project. It's not just to do things because I think they're shiny and cool, but do things because I really think that they're going to help individual people. And obviously the best way to do that is to ask them, what do you think is going to help you? Right? What do you need in your day-to-day life or, or feel is missing yep. if you care about privacy and security? And having your own server is a big one, but there are a lot of constraints to that, like I mentioned before. So that's kind of where, where Skylark came about and where some of the ArcOS Connect services have come about. And hopefully we'll be able to get uh, going with those in the next few months. So uh, my question about Skylark was, uh, I was like, oh, yeah, I need to ask Jacob that sometime when uh, when we are in conversation. But I was wondering, uh, it's probably still early stages, but... Are you building these virtual machines on – are you putting these on servers or since you've built ArcOS to run on Pis, is it going to be like one of these like little Raspberry Pi server farms? <laughs> no, uh, it won't be one of those. It will be an actual um, you know, dedicated rack mount type of servers with virtual machines running on each of them uh, as opposed to, to co-location. And uh, I do know some people that do co-location. There's actually a co-location service called Mini Nodes that uh, you can – put ArcOS servers on Cubiboard 2s, which are, um, it, it's it's actually really similar to the Raspberry Pi 2, uh, yeah. except for the Raspberry Pi 2 is a bit cheaper. But um, but yeah, rather than doing co-location, I think it's it's really better for, um, in all areas, to, to do it this way. So yeah. not all of the technical details are quite worked out yet, but I think that's, that's the direction we're headed. Yeah, that's why I wanted to ask, because I think it was... 
I don't know that it was you, but I, I read about that place that you were just talking, the mini place. And I was just like, wow, that's exactly like when the Mac minis came out. Then someone's like, hey, let's use these as servers. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Yeah. So, yeah. So I am super excited for Skylark because, uh, yeah, I for me, it's like an Internet speed kind of an issue. I, I think yeah. uh, I'm not on Rogers here at home. Um, and I was actually looking into tech savvy after talking to you last time to, uh, see about moving to them. Um, I'm just not sure because I'm in a condo situation, like is tech savvy then just like renting the speed and line from like whoever owns the lines to the building. And so am I going to be any better off switching to them? Yeah. Well, my experience with tech savvy was very much that, at, at least in Quebec in my area, they rented uh, lines from Bell. So we had to deal with the Bell technician when they come out, came out to set up the line and to move the line and everything like that. And, of course, you're not their customer. You're the customer of one of their um, – I forget Absolutely. how to say it in English uh, – subcontractors. And you have to – obviously, they're not very happy about that. So it, it, it can be kind of a pain. But, yeah, pretty much all ISPs are, are difficult in, in those respects. When it comes to static IPs or ports or hosting anything from your from your connection, they're just super paranoid about spam and everything, which I mean is totally understandable. But it certainly doesn't make my job any easier. Yeah, I have a I have a subcontractor story, which is totally off topic, but um, <laughs> uh, way back uh, when there was when AT and T was still into the internet business and cable business uh, in Michigan. Um, I had the package, you know, because everything's cheaper in a package. Yeah. And so then when the package ended, I said, well, I don't want TV anymore, but I still want Internet. And they yeah. said, OK, we'll send someone by. And so someone stopped by and said, yeah, I'm here to take care of that for you. And then they left and I had no Internet. And it was <laughs> it was like a 19 year old kid in a car. So. I call them up and say, my internet's not working. And AT&T's like, well, did you try this? And did you, I'm like sitting there going, Have you yes. tried turning your computer off and turning it on again? <laughs> right. Did you reset the modem, all this silly stuff? And they're like, yeah. okay, we'll have to schedule you for appointment. So the uh, guy shows up <laughs> with a, he shows up in a truck. Um, and he, I'm like, yeah, the internet doesn't work. And He's like, well, let's try this and let's try that. And I'm like, honestly, sir, like you're not going to be able to fix it by using my computer. If you just step outside, I can show you where it comes into the house because that's where the guy went when he was here. And he's like, what guy? So it was a subcontractor to shut off my Internet, not one of these union guys. So he just put a blocker on the line right next to the house, which shut down everything. <laughs> So this union guy was like really mad and he was like, so they sent someone else to do art. <sighs> he was like really <laughs> mad. He like called some other technician and then he's like, he pulled the blocker off and he's like, let's go inside. And he's like, there you go. Your internet works. And he's like, by the way, your TV works too, because I need a bucket truck to go over there to the line to shut off just your TV. <laughs> and I'm not going to do it. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, but unfortunately, uh, by this time and still today, like they can monitor that thing. So then we get a call from AT and T like two months later saying, "Hey, you're stealing cable," and we're like, "No, yeah. we're not. You didn't shut it off." So it's the we had to like, fault. 
Yeah, we had to argue with them and ended up like paying like for one month or something. Uh, listen, Mr. AT&T, do I look like I own a bucket truck to go turn <laughs> right. it back on again? If anyone here is going to have it, it's going to be you. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think that every single startup these days likes to bill itself as the Tinder of X, the Tinder of this thing, the Tinder of that thing. I think what we really need is a Tinder for cable company technicians show me one that's like rate them rank them by their usefulness by their helpfulness by the fact that they're not going to yell at you over stupid little issues or facts that are their fault obviously yeah yeah where's the uber of phone companies i really like that idea as well wow yeah for sure i've got a million of them (laughs) <laughs> so I can tell you about all of my Tinder reinventions. 